Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. Four, three, two, and we're live. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Vin and Ali show where we review books. Funny that two guys were the least academic in our entire friendship group now reviewing books. (laughs) And again, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And if you're returning... We always ask you, why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> why are and, we doing this to ourselves? Yeah, well, no, what we're doing because we enjoy it. It's just, uh, I don't know if we're making the world a better place or a worse place by making this podcast. <laughs> Definitely worse. Definitely worse. Well, look, anyway, whether for the worse or the better, the book we're reviewing today is called Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. And if I had to give you a high level summary of this book, it's of an entrepreneur who's walking a path that is uncommon, even within the entrepreneurial world. So he's, he's not the typical Silicon Valley kind of entrepreneur. He's a very different breed. And when you read this book, the book represents 40 of the lessons that have really helped him in his, on his journey. And when you read through this book, it's a very quick book. So if I had to give you a metaphor for it, because that's just how I talk, it's like eating a heavy, you're eating a heavy, heavy pasta, and then you come across you know, another really heavy kind of steak dish. And then the third one is really pleasant because it's one scoop of a sorbet. And then you take it, it's a palate cleanser. It's fantastic. This book represents the sorbet. However, this sorbet can be misleading because I think (laughs) the short nature of books means that you miss out on the complexity. You miss out on a little bit of the depth. So it can lead you astray a little, which we'll dive into. So this is, Mm -hmm. to me, the sorbet of books. It's really nice to have when you're consuming other heavy books and you take away a lot of very unconventional lessons that, that otherwise you wouldn't come across. So to me, that's kind of what I see it as. And, and it's wonderful. One more thing I'll add is that Derek also gives us some, you know, some of the, the failures that he's been through, which I thought was refreshing. It's not just kind of look at this heroic journey, but look at some of the failure, some of, some of the kind of epic fails that I've, that I've experienced in my time as well. How do you rate that analogy and metaphor on the scale of one to 10? Do you mean my own, own metaphor or <laughs> yeah. the sorbet metaphor? Yeah, yeah from your yeah, own. Yeah, it was, I, it, was, it was a struggle one. It wasn't, it wasn't that great. I could, I could feel you judging me already, you bastard. But I, I like it because I personally I really relate to it. When, when I, I eat heavy meals and then they give you a sorbet, you, you kind of get disappointed because you go, it's only one scoop. Uh, and I then just you like how you I like how you order like meat pasta and then just a little bit of sorbet. Little sorbet. Well, it's a palate yeah, cleanser. It's, it is but, 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 but but again, it connects it connects to the metaphor. I'll push it a point further. Is that whenever you see sorbet being presented, it's always a scoop of it, and then you look at it and you go, "Oh man, that was seven bucks. That was five dollars." <laughs> so there's a huge sense of disappointment that I I won't I I, I won't lie. I, when I looked at the thickness of the book the first time I read it, I was like. Is this a children's book? What is this? I was was the opposite. I'm like, yes. 
finally, a short so, read that you can punch through in an hour or 90 minutes. I was like, this is the best. Because uh, you are someone reading. that, you're someone that just loves the pragmatics of things. You want to be, I want to be in and out. You, in and out. <laughs> okay. Now this is what makes the metaphor better. Mm-hmm. I want to enjoy the meal. I want to sit there mm-hmm. and enjoy all the beautiful flavors. You're just like, just give me a soylent, give me a protein <laughs> shake with all the nutrition that I need. I drink that in 30 seconds and I'm done. That's disgusting. <laughs> hey, it's it's efficient. Come on. No, it's no, it terrible. Is. It's a terrible way to live life. It's a terrible way to live life. I, I, oh. I feel like I don't know how good a job we're doing of selling this book right now, but <laughs> no, no, no. It's a great book. It's a great book. It's just that I'm I, what I'm judging is your way of life. <laughs> I'm like no, selling my way of life then. Either. Yeah, I'm not selling your way of life. Well, no, no. look, I think that again, it comes to the contrast <laughs> of why you and I are so different, right? I yeah. love. I love the poetry in books. I love the stories within mm-hmm. books. Sometimes I can waffle a bit too much, yep. but I, I just love all the, mm. oh, just all the little ingredients. Whereas I know you're very pragmatic. Yeah. yeah. I, I love the way that he's just simplified and distilled like yeah. lessons, probably like essentially putting a 20 year or 10 year career into what a hundred eighty pages, a hundred pages. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Whereas usually when you see those memoir style of books, Four or five, like I've got one sitting on my desk. It's Walt Disney's one, and it's been scaring me for the last like year and a half because I think it's twelve twelve hundred pages or something like that. Amazing oh, read man. so far, but but then when I look at Derek's one, it's like, yeah, this is awesome. You've just distilled like such complex points into yeah. five six paragraphs. It's yeah, awesome. Can't I, wait to dig into it. Can't wait to dig into it too. So yeah. uh, look, I I started the podcast, and as you always make me do. So you can kick off. You can kick off the first thing that that we talk about today. Well, well, I'll just start by providing some context of Derek Sivers and who he is. Um, Derek Sivers started this company, CD Baby. Uh, I actually came across the book through a friend of mine, Craig. He gave me a copy. I think it's one of his most gifted books that he's got sitting on his desk, and he threw it over. And I remember after reading it, like at the end of the book, Derek's got this little note saying, "You can find me here." And I, I loved his thinking. So after that, send him an email and I'm assuming he gets thousands and thousands of emails. And what I found is that Derek pretty much replies to every single email that he receives. So I'm not going to try to throw him under the bus. And I'm not sure if he's still doing this or not. But we started just conversing over the last sort of three years just via email. And it was amazing, his responsiveness. So I think just giving that a shout out, you don't usually see that with a lot of authors probably at that level. Um, yeah. where they do engage and yeah, just love his writing style and the way that, again, we, we spoke about it earlier, distilling points and just the practical nature and abstract thinking that he uses. Like there's so many cool mm. models that I want to dig into that yeah. I know that when I read this again, looking back on it, there's so much of this that I've implemented in my lifestyle, the business and really excited to to chat about those. And, and something about him as well, just before you, you pick the first topic to dive into it, is that he, mm-hmm. he, he's not afraid to just go his own way. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. No, there's no fear in just going, well, I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to. Huh. So it's, it's so cool yeah, to yeah. see that side of him, whereas I think I fall victim to, I want to be a people pleaser. I want to be someone who, mm-hmm. you know, does what everyone else says I should do, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I love that about about Derek. Yeah. Anyway, and I think the the segue you gave there is I think one of the lines in the book is say from a business perspective, which is what he's talking about in that book, is a business allows you to design your own utopia. 
And I had that I really noted lo- here too. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's jump into that topic because I think okay, let's do it. That is, that's something that I really resonated with just from, again, you see the conventional way that businesses are usually operated and you look mm. at corporate structures, organizational plans, you know, recruitment strategies, all these different bits and pieces. And I love that when you go through his book, just how unconventional it is. Like he's just said that, yeah. screw it. I'm going to operate this the way that aligns with who I am, regardless of whether it fits in with HR policy or conventional management strategy. And and there's some amazing bits there. Like I, I can't, if you remember, like how he hired people. It's like, do you have a friend? Yeah. Well, they'll get ten dollars an hour. <laughs> tell them to come in or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I just love that concept. Um, well, well, another, another we one of the another one of the examples is that the terms and conditions, right? How all these lawyer friends of his says, look, you've grown the business to the point where it's so big now, you better get your your T's and C's Mm -hmm. done. He's like, no, I won't. Mm -hmm. And then the example he used was, what if someone bought a CD from you and then it cut them in the throat and they died? You know, you better protect yourself. And he goes, look, that's so outside of the realms of possibility that when it happens, I'll just deal with it then. It's Mm -hmm. like, that's amazing. I think it's crazy. That's, yep. Uh, I also love how it bit him in the ass a couple of times as well. Like, like he goes through the stories there, like where when he set up the company and then realized that 90% of the company was under his dad's company's name and he had to rebuy it. Or, and when I think he allowed the employees to develop their own profit sharing (laughs) system, and then his accountant told him that essentially the employees were giving themselves all the funds and distributing them out without his knowledge. So, so I think there's, I just love the, um, the openness and the transparency in the way that he goes through it. He's like, yeah, well, I designed exactly what I wanted. But then I also learnt some valuable lessons along the way that I had to correct, and it's a pretty cool microcosm of life, I think. The well, reflection well, of let, life. Let, let's talk about that point. You can create uh-huh. your own utopia, right? Yep. That that's something that I really connected with too when I read that. It, it, it's why I began my whole journey as an entrepreneur to do what I was doing, and, and I'm playing the entrepreneurial game in a different way. In that I'm playing it more as a thought leader. Mm-hmm. I'm playing it more as a thought practice kind of game, whereas you, you're playing it more as a traditional kind of game. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, what that made me think of and almost appreciate and be grateful for is that with, with my kind of business, I'm able to create something that now works around my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like say I, I run my online workshops, I can do it at a time that I want. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I've always wanted to get work done before 9 a.m., now that's that's a that's a big thing for me. I just think how cool it would be if I finish my work, I, you know, get up at four, start work at four thirty, and you finish by nine, and that's what I did. So, you know, so my next workshop starts at seven my time, finishes at nine a.m. my time, and then I'm good. And that's yeah. kind of my little rule in my world, my utopia, and it just it just made me think about that, and I I literally went, man, that is really cool. Mm, yeah, I like it's my that. utopia. Yeah, that's yeah. I think you've just touched on a pretty cool concept. I think most people have one or two things if they were mapping out their ideal week or ideal day. It's like, oh, if I could just get this, then you, it's like you feel like you're starting from a place of I'm not behind the eight ball. And to me, that's mm-hmm. what that sounds like for you. Is that if like you, the dream is let's get this done by nine? And I know sometimes you, at the moment you're waking up at three a.m., but but that's amazing because of time differences and stuff that yeah. you're you're finished. Because I know that family and spending time with people that you care about and doing all that that gives you like twelve hours to then not have to yeah. think about work, unplug, and you're going. and And I love that notion of 
find your utopia? Like what is that mm. one thing a day or a couple of things um, a week? Like to me it's – we can't do it at the moment in Melbourne, but I love just having the flexibility to go to my local cafe and spend a couple of hours there and write and think and plan out stuff. You know, like that's one of them or to have an hour to read a book. But I love that idea of how can you design your life so that you get that utopia. I, I also think it's it's scary to – to think that you are allowed to have your own utopia, right? It's it's mm. such a it's such a foreign thought that I don't I don't think I don't think it's easy to get in that mindset where you go, oh, let's let's sit down, let's map out what my utopia would look like, let's try to take actions to move towards that. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's not something that a lot of people can do. It, it's not. I, I think a lot of people will look at that and go, well, that's not practical for me, you know. Mm. And I I think that's a limiting kind of thought that then causes you to never map out what your utopia looks like and therefore never be able to arrive at your utopia, right? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, well, so from well, a practical me... standpoint, <laughs> yeah, you go. No, no, go for it. Um, yeah, so, so what do you think is a way for people to get into the mindset of designing their own utopia while we're on this topic? <laughs> <laughs> great, great segue for me. To, yeah, well, well, great, great segue for me to be able to uh, now kind of uh, tell. You should go listen to our last podcast, which we talked yeah. about the four-hour work week. Yeah. Because they do I, link, I think though. they do link. Because I think the yeah, book, for the sure, work week gives you mm-hmm. all the pragmatic strategies on how you can be be able to optimize your time, so you mm-hmm. can actually have time to think about what your utopia would look like. That's true. Yep. Right. So I think go listen to the other podcast, our yep. third episode, because that that's where we talk about a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, that Tim Tim Ferriss' book, The Four Hour Work Week, talks a lot about the how. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's and, how I'd ask that. And funnily enough, I'm pretty sure they're actually really good mates, both Derek Sivers and Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss. And, and they've got a few podcasts together where they jam on these topics. So, so I think that style of thinking is probably, again, we've spoken about it in a couple of the other episodes, but it's like the, the 2010s type of thinking of you yeah. kind of design your own life, productivity, time management, more about well, impact, alignment. It seems like a, a common theme. And for those listening to the podcast, what, what I'd just encourage you to do is just to think, give yourself a moment to be able to dream a little Give yourself, mm. give you a moment, give yourself an opportunity to just, you know, dare to think about what your utopia would look like if you could have your mm. own utopia. And it doesn't have to be so extravagant and so ridiculous, right? You can just start with smaller utopias and gradually move towards bigger utopias. I mean, you know, I, th- I think it's it's just the fact that if you if you have it in your mind, then there's a higher chance that you will bring it to life. If you never think about it, and if you just never even give yourself the opportunity to think about it then there's no chance of it ever coming to life. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good point. The, the first lesson in the book that, you know, I, I've got to say this was in the first five pages and I felt like there was an immediate punch to the throat with a very small fist that was just the size of my Adam's apple, which was, you know, it's, it was quite upsetting. And, and this was what the quote was. So I'll, I'll read this passage. I'll read it. It was a baby fist punch to the, to the throat. Oh, Nice. Yeah, it was, it was so compact, but so <laughs> did <powerful>. you choke? <laughs> no, I didn't, but it did it metaphorically invert my Adam's apple. So here it is. <laughs> which is which is, by the way, my biggest fear because then I wouldn't be able to speak. 
Yeah, I, really I just imagine if you don't have much of one. <laughs> nah, kind of Expl- explains of. why you're not a man. <laughs> <laughs> so mean or kind. So, I don't okay, know. this is this is what this is. Most people don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They imitate others, go with the flow, and follow paths without making their own. They spend decades in pursuit of something that someone convinced them that they should want without realizing that it might make them happy. Don't be on your deathbed someday, having squandered your once-in-a-lifetime chance, full of regret because you pursued little distractions instead of big dreams. You need to know your personal philosophy of what makes you happy and what's worth doing. And that's so mm. powerful. And there's a few bits powerful. in that is that, I mean, the first one is most people don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They just imitate others or go with the flow. That's mm. huge. Mm. I mean, I think for a huge part of my life, that's what I was doing. So you know, why the just, punch? Well, well, because it really made me reflect on, am I starting to go with the flow? Am I starting to just no longer carve out my own way? Have I started to just try to imitate others? It, it just made me really self-reflect on those things. And it was, it was a little bit scary. It was a little bit scary because I, I felt going with the flow one was a big one. It's that I, I felt like I, I'm no longer intentionally going, this is how I want to carve out what I'm doing. It, I don't know. That, that kind of scared me a little bit, this one. What does yeah, that? What does that make? How did that make you feel when I read that to you? Or, or was that just would. like you know, bullets to bulletproof? Yeah, that one. I think it's maybe because of twenty twenty is a year. It just hasn't felt like one of those years where going with the flow. Like to me, mm. if I was going to describe twenty twenty as a year, okay, it, it, it's a roller coaster. So I think it doesn't hit home that much because I, I kind of feel like there isn't really all that much that's super conventional call it or that is dragging there. But then on the other hand, now, you know, when, when I hear you speak about it, it also feels like, Oh yeah, well maybe are some of the the decisions that I'm making at the moment, are they just reactive or like, because if you look at it, the other side of 2020 and what this pandemic's done is it's probably mm. just instilled as much as you try to, avoid it it probably does instill a little bit more of a fearful mentality of how do you protect how do you play a bit more defense so so then i was thinking all right like is there is there a way to in a defensive environment can you play more offense and maybe that's my relationship to the flow statement well you're right because look even though it is a roller coaster by sitting in the roller coaster and going with the roller coaster you are in essence going with the flow you're going with mm. the flow of the roller coaster, right? Mm. And and what you're saying there is to play offensive is to go against the roller coaster and and kind of go your own path, but to be defensive is maybe to sit on the roller coaster and just go for the ride. Mm. Yeah. And but it, but it's scary, but it's scary to go against the roller coaster because it means you have to hop off. Yeah, you got to oh. hop off the ride, right? Well, how do you how do you go against the roller coaster once it's steaming your head at 200 kilometers an hour. Well, here's the thing. I think us doing this <laughs> podcast and us taking it more seriously and soon about to put marketing dollars behind it and get team members to sit behind it to promote it and everything. I think that's playing offensive during a defensive time. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's yep. it's it's being willing to invest in different things, being willing to invest in it may be growth for you, it may be a new business strategy, maybe marketing dollars, right? I, I think that that's scary to do right now. Whereas the kind of conventional thing, or, or maybe the thing that most people are doing is I'm just gonna hold my resources tight to weather the storm. Whereas we're going, no, let's let's go out and play in the storm. Because yeah. That that is one example I think that we're about to kind of jump off the roller coaster on. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I think um Yeah, that, that got quantum. That was very quantum. Nice. So so I think that, that that's that's one way to be able to get off the path is is really to think about what's everyone else doing and mm. Should I be doing something different or should I just be going with the flow and following what mm. others are doing? I, I fear that. I really do. But- I, have a, I have a deep fear of, well, because, you know, when you look at it philosophically mm. and you look at life, we, we have one go at it. And mm. I, I know it's been said so many times in so many different ways, but more than ever recently for me, it's just become more and more pressing that we get one go at this. You know, we're, we're one potential doctor's appointment away from mm. getting a diagnosis for something that's terrible and it changes the course of the way you live. You're, you're one car drive away from and then game over. So it's like, I, I just, I'm scared of being default. I'm, I'm really afraid of that. Mm. It's, it's become a bigger and bigger fear of mine. Yeah. The, the thought that was coming to my mind there is where is the line between going with the flow or call it emulation or whatever it is, and then jumping off, call it the roller coaster. Because to me, this conversation, like even if you look at what we're doing, like we've gone online, we've started the podcast. Like, yeah. is that truly, is that going with the flow? Because that's what so many people are doing right now. Yeah, actually, but- that's a good point. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Now I'm going to get anxiety again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but that's, but a, no, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. But, but I think looping it back though is more around what I do think that we're doing is we're doing something that's aligned with what we want to do. And we're not, we're not writing somebody else's playbook. That's what it kind of feels like. It's like, even though we might be going down a conventional route potentially, or going with the flow, it feels very aligned that, as you mentioned before, we're in a defensive environment. We're playing as yeah. many offensive moves as we can um, and exploring and just being curious. That to me feels good in this environment. What you're saying there is that being going with the flow, following others, and then not flowing following others are both important. Damn these paradoxes! Mm. It's so annoying. That's why that's why the book we're doing next is called the the paradox of choice. Is because <laughs> Ali and I, every time we have a conversation, everything is a bloody paradox. It's just ridiculous. Yes, that's why. No, but what 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 you just made me think of to build on your thought there, Ali, is that uh, let's go back to the one of the classics in terms of movies, mm. Finding Nemo. So in yeah. Finding Nemo, there's this- didn't guess that. What a, but, what yeah, a classic. Good. What a Were you going to say Star Wars or something no, like that? No, this is, we'll no, this is- No, no, Star Wars, terrible movie. Not a fan of it. Uh, oh. Lots of haters after this now. <laughs> yeah, That's, I know. That was hey, a big call. Hey, I'm, channel, I'm channeling my Derek Sivers. I'm walking <laughs> my own path. I'm paving my own way. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, okay. So in Finding Nemo- I don't like it. It's boring. <laughs> finding Nemo, <laughs> finding Nemo has this brilliant scene where 
you know, the father's trying to find the son, obviously, this brilliant movie. And <laughs> on his journey to try to find his son, he found a bunch of turtles that were swimming in this kind of tunnel of water that was flowing really fast that was going to take him down to Sydney, Australia. And then the turtles are like, man, just like, you know, get into this stream and then it will take you there faster. So what that represents to me is that in, there are times in life where you, you should follow the flow. Because if you get into that flow and you get into that stream that the turtles are in, it will accelerate your journey and you'll fly through it. But the problem is don't stay in the stream. Because you, mm. if you stay in the stream, you'll never find your son, which represents the thing that you desire so much in your life. And then you just end up the following the damn turtles and you become a bloody turtle, right? So to me, it's use the flow when it's beneficial. Stay on the roller coaster when it benefits you because there are clear times when it benefits you. But then when it doesn't, don't be afraid to get off the damn ride. Don't be afraid to get off that, that stream that the turtles were in if, you, if you've watched a movie. You know? and, and if you haven't, give it a try. Way better than Star Wars. Yeah, I think it's it's a good point. It's kind of like looking at life from a point of view that there are usually fixed concepts and norms, call it. And you, mm. I think for the most part, we have to play somewhat within the realm of that. But then mm-hmm. you have to then also explore within whatever that is as well. You know, like if you, I look at it like a, for the web, making a website is an example. You know, you can yeah. do some really wild things with a website and every website's going to be ultimately different, but there are some set conventions. Like every website needs a menu bar. Every mm. website, you know, has an about page or whatever it is, a content page. Like, like there are conventions in life and in most yeah. things that have been established over time because yeah. they make sense. And then sometimes they need to be questioned and they need to be updated and evolved. And I think that that maybe wraps up that, point a little bit and if you look at his thinking as well it's very much Mm. like he's playing in the entrepreneurship space at the end of the day he's selling a product the only thing is within that within that contextual model he's playing around with it and he's questioning certain parts more Mm. so based on his interests and what he feels and i think from a practical standpoint for people that is looking inside yourself and then being like all right well what sits well with me that you know that is conventional that I want to continue with and what doesn't Mm. sit well and what do I need to change? And I think that that's where there's some practical application of this lesson is that in today's world that the world has changed and some of those fixed concepts are maybe no longer that real. So if Mm. you're feeling that you can probably play around with it a little bit more like work from home, for example, for a lot of people, that was such a abstract concept. Whereas now for so many people, that's real thing. So how can you design work from home? to suit you. you know, like, oh, like I was reading this story in the paper the other day, this teacher moved to mm-hmm. um, like a different state and didn't even tell the school that she's <laughs> teaching from there. But now she's, she's out of the lockdown. She's teaching from that state. I think that's pretty interesting. And I think it's yeah. awesome curiosity and what a cool move. So she could be down at the beach, still teaching a class. And you look at that 10 months ago, there's no way you, she would be able to teach a class from a different state in that same environment without anyone knowing. <laughs> See, that's, 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 that's an example of someone who's taken such a crappy situation, used their resourcefulness and their, their kind of lateral thinking to come mm. up with a way to turn kind of a, kind of a terrible situation into a bit of a utopia of, of her mm. own. That's amazing. Creating their own utopia, wow. right? 
Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, okay. So was, that counted as my turn. It's yours. I love this. It's, it's back to it's back to primary yeah, school, taking yeah, turns yeah, one at a yeah, time. Yeah, hand up. <laughs> We're playing tennis. Yeah, right just gonna, now. Yeah. Right. My turn. Your turn. Um, my turn. This is my. This is just one of my favorite concepts, and I, I use this as a decision making tool. So I have to touch mm-hmm. on it. I've been preaching this for so many years, but it's the concept of if it's not a hell yeah, it's a no. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think in other, I think you might have PG'd that because in other forums, it's it's not <laughs> F, yeah, it's a hell no. Yeah. Uh, and just explaining that concept as a decision-making tool, what Derek's saying with that is that if you're not truly excited about it and it's not a convincing yes, just say no to it. And it probably goes to your earlier point there as well of getting dragged along and being reactive. And mm. for me, as a decision-making practice and tool, it just helps filtered through all the different options a little bit more and it has for a very long time so that was one when i was rereading this book i was thinking about it, i'm like wow from reading that the first time i i've genuinely implemented that in a lot of my life and i think it just gave so much more clarity and alignment in terms of being able to make decisions when you just give it the the hell yeah or no test um, uh, okay i've got a question for you can mm-hmm. you live like that as your default state of life? Can you actually, with everything that you do, go, if it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no? Like, do, do no. you consistently do that in your life? I'd say 80%. Like, wow, 70 to 80%. that's pretty good. That's pretty I, good. But, but I don't think yeah. you can't get it. If you did that, I think with everything, it would just be way too binary and you've gone too far. Yeah. That, that, which- that, that was my feel. I mean, I, I, I can tell you, I don't, I can't do that. I haven't been able to implement that with an 80% kind of yeah. sticky rate. For, for, for me, I use it as a tool when things get blurry. So, mm-hmm. so the metaphor I use is when the water gets really muddy and I feel really confused and I'm like, oh, I'm doing too much. Then to me, that is a tool that I use to settle the mud so that I can gain clarity so I can mm-hmm. see what I'm actually doing with my life. Yep. I, I think I use it as medicine. I use it as a Band-Aid. I don't mm-hmm. have it as my daily vitamin regime, right? Whereas I think I need to adopt it more as a daily vitamin regime so I, I maintain more clarity. I, I'm more of the let the fish tank get really dirty and then just dose it with a hell yeah or hell no mentality for a month and then go, oh, it's clear again. Because I I kind of like the madness a little bit. Mm-hmm. I like sure. it when things are, I, I love, like you should see the, the, the state of my house always goes from, well, my office, because my house, my wife controls. So she's allowed to, it's always fairly clean. But my garage goes from really bad, really stuff mm-hmm. everywhere, stuck all over the walls to then clean. Mm. And then it just gradually gets worse again and then clean. <laughs> I like that because to me within chaos, I thrive. But then yep. if, I, if you leave me in chaos- I die. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that yeah. that that makes complete sense because yep. I have experimented with going at 90 or 100% and it devoids mm. nearly all spontaneity and yeah. there's too much control because yep. what that is, is it's essentially a proactive vitamin where you make all the decisions of how you allocate essentially your bandwidth and your mm. time. And yep. then what that can lead to is massive disconnect if you go too far down that. Like I remember having times where, you know, the phone would be on aeroplane mode for 
a week all social media is shut down a week? No meetings yeah, yeah, yeah like so just going through that process just to test it out and then all your the, the whole concept was every day for that week is i'd have the list pick the things that i wanted to do on the list and then off you go Th- that's a really easy way to do it especially when traveling if i'm traveling by myself you can you can make that happen probably a bit more seamlessly without people noticing <laughs> mm. but uh, but then i experimented with it and it's great you get full control over how you use your your time and your energy and your actions but it can get very stale and a bit too too black and white so so that's the downside of going with that approach but mm. i think that especially if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling like you're getting pulled yeah. in a few different directions, it's an awesome yeah. reset. Like what you said, it's yeah. your house is <laughs> being yeah. turned upside down. Give it the hell year or no test with what's going on in your life. And and a cool way of doing it is just looking at your calendar. Like if you, yeah. so many people get their calendar packed with things. It's like, give it the hell year or no test. Like what in that calendar qualifies as a hell year? What in there is probably a no? And it removes things that are like a seven out of 10. You know, because mm. things just get put in there. It's like, well, all right, if I'm not truly excited. And you start building this muscle nearly where mm. you can feel things. It gives you like an intuitive feeling of, oh, maybe I just shouldn't do this because it just doesn't feel like a hell yeah. So so it starts automating your decision-making a little bit. Is what I, found. I think there's another problem in this and is that the reason why we often are doing things that are not a hell yeah, it's because fundamentally, I think a lot of us are afraid to say no. Mm. We, we were afraid to say no because, you know, obviously I don't want to come across as a wanker. Mm. I don't want to come across as a monster. And then because you don't want to come across that way, you kind of get yourself in trouble. And, and I definitely, again, fall victim to that as well. Is this, yep. it's, it's the whole idea of being a people pleaser, wanting to please everyone. Don't, I, don't, I don't want anyone to hate me. You know, and I think you've got to be so careful of that because if, if, you're, if you're trying to become everyone's cup of tea, you're going to become nobody's cup of tea, especially yourself. You hate the cup of tea that you are for yourself yeah. because you become this bland, diluted. And, and I think that's, again, it's a, a better analogy. A better analogy is that it, it's, it's, the, it's the massive chlorine dump into a pool that turns it from green to clear, right? That's, and, and that's also how I kind of run my pool at my house. You know, it's, it's you know, <laughs> until I need it. In it. I think there's sharks. I just think there's a lot of wriggly things and it's green and gross. But then every time summer comes along and I want clarity, I nuke it. And yeah. within about a week, crystal clear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you're you like go. the type of guy like your house gets too messy, you just sell it and buy a new one. It's like that that one's a lemon. <laughs> it's not working anymore. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, well, what what I do do is I don't I don't just sell it, but I I will go through a week of like just cleaning my office, cleaning everything, getting a spot on. But I still believe, like you said, you you do that too clinically. You take the spontaneity mm-hmm. out of life. You take mm-hmm. you take the living out of living, right? So you've got to be mm-hmm. super super careful about that too. Yeah, I sure. Par- this next, paradox this- again. Yeah, see, it's, well, yeah. it just goes to go show that every lesson. Well, it shows that every lesson mm-hmm. cannot be taken as a blanket lesson that I'll apply to my life 100 mm-hmm. of the time. It's just mm-hmm. make sure you learn. And I think this is the core thing I've learned with doing this with you is that every lesson has its good and its bad, mm-hmm. right? And and there's no lesson that you apply to your life 100 of the time because you just can't. 
what makes us beautiful is what makes life beautiful is that you just follow a rule 50% of the time, 75% of the time, you know, and find your percentage. You just, and again, I've said this, this is the second time I've said it. You know, the only thing that I'm married to is pay when my wife, everything else can be kind of, I don't know. Well, you can't do that with your wife, but you you know, you can do that with everything else in life. Now for me, this next one, I, I thought was, I had something interesting that came up. And, and Derek says, success comes from persistently improving and inventing, not from persistently promoting what's not working. Oh, I had that one highlighted is, as well. Yeah, isn't it. that one great? Isn't yeah. that one great? Yeah. I, I, I think because in society we get so stuck in a mindset, and I get stuck into this too, that once something's good enough, it's good enough. And then we no longer go through the process of improving and inventing. Note he said, persistently improving and inventing. Mm. And it's so easy to, well, I, I think it's like the sunk cost fallacy. You create something cool mm-hmm. and that works. It's really hard psychologically to change it up and to reinvent it. But half of the joy of doing what you're doing is the process of inventing Absolutely. and improving and tinkering. If you Absolutely no longer agree. tinker, if you no longer, mm-hmm. this is the thing. I see my friends who go through this right mm-hmm. now, who they're in careers where they haven't grown anymore. And they're just, mm-hmm. they, they tell me, they go, I don't know how long I'm going to stay in this job anymore, brother. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not growing. I'm not moving. I'm just doing the same thing every day. So what that tells us is that happiness, fulfillment comes from persistently improving, whether it's ourselves or the product or the service and inventing. I think, I think the core of human beings, we, we were made to problem solve. And if you've gone too long without using your brain to problem solve, I think it causes us to kind of just melt away. And we just, we just don't feel good. And, 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 and here's the thing, though. I think the process of improving and inventing is hard. It's painful. It's often not enjoyable. And, and people it misdirects people into thinking that, oh, the process of growing as an entrepreneur, of inventing is meant to be fun, exciting, like I see in the movies. It's not. The reality of inventing, persistently improving, it's actually really hard. It causes cognitive strain. And and that, that kind of creates an illusion. And then people go, oh, well, I'm feeling this negative feeling. This must not what this must not be what improving and inventing feels like. So I don't want to do it anymore. Whereas, yeah. whereas if you push through that, the feeling at the end is a wonderful feeling. It's, it's actually, it's actually, yeah, really satisfying. Yeah. I think that point really stood out to me because I look at our business with future golf and the, the core concept of what we've been delivering at its essence has been really similar probably from day one. And you invent things and you innovate, but so much of that innovation and invention is based around doing what you do better, you know, and, and that, and I'm, I'm really big on, you know, throwing ideas around and doing a whole different variety of things, but it's funny how difficult it is in that environment with future golf to try to find and unlock something new that works at the same level or at a better level to what you've already developed. And that's where bringing in all different levels of insight, reading books and all that becomes really helpful. But again, it goes to the paradox of this is, is it about innovation and invention around things that are already working and improving those? Or is it about completely flipping things on the head 
And I love the fact that he talks about is how, how do you best satisfy a customer at the time when what they, you know, in, in relation to what it is that they exactly need. And I think mm. when you tie back to that of this is what they want, this is what they need, it becomes something really interesting. Like I'll, I'll throw over to you, right? Like say your keynote, that, mm-hmm. that's a big innovative product that you've developed. Like how do you innovate that and re-innovate well, it and has it changed much and- let, let me give you something more relevant because I haven't done a keynote in months, right? Mm. So something more relevant is my, my, my virtual workshops that I'm running right now. Mm. So every time I run an, a new iteration of my online virtual masterclass, I always challenge my team and go, what's something we can do different? But I ask them that question, but I always come prepared with, you know, 5% improvement of, of something that we could do. So for example, the next virtual masterclass that I'm running, my student, you know, we, we draw out a student empathy map and to see what our students experience from the very moment when they sign up with us, right? So I thought, oh, one of the things we can improve, that's a 5% improvement, is they'll get a video of me immediately from the moment they sign up. So when they sign up, there's a video of me that goes, hey, you know, welcome to the virtual masterclass. Thanks so much for joining. And it's a, it's a message that is tailored to inspire them and motivate them from the very moment that they join. Whereas before, all they got was a confirmation email and, hey, make sure you do these homework. So now I thought, oh, I can improve the student journey by creating a video that's going to inspire them to want to do the homework. Whereas before, they got the email and went, oh, no, homework. But here, they get a video of me explaining why homework, homework is actually great. So like that was a little 5% improvement. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so to me, I think the danger in this is that you think that you have to have great, crazy innovations that are turned on their head. Whereas innovation can come in very small little actions that, that that's what I got from this book too, that it's the little touches sometimes that, that, that can lead to the, to the greatest big transformational moves. But if you don't make those little small incremental moves, you may never move towards those bigger moves because those bigger moves can't be seen unless these little ones are made. Yep. Uh, the analogy that's coming to my mind is that there's boulders and then there's mm. rocks. You go back to ah, that. This is a good one. Okay, come on. So, complete the complete the complete the analogy and the metaphor. You know, I can't complete a, a metaphor, but no, no, But I think it's looking at there's massive innovation, which is yeah. your boulders. So you starting the virtual masterclass is the boulder, mm-hmm. yeah. and then you've got rocks, you've got sand, you've got pebbles, and if you're filling up that jar. Mm-hmm. You know, you need the boulder that's going to take up the, mo- the most surface area. That's what you've done by that massive innovation of creating a new mm. product stream. But yes. then those optimizations that you're talking about where you're improving the user experience, there's still an innovation, but they're a rock innovation, right? Mm. You're not changing the product too much. You're just enhancing it. And I think that that's, that's very cool because sometimes I think there is a, again, going back to paradox, there's a mistake yeah. where we'll, we'll try something, but if, you're, if you over-innovate, you could sometimes not let things run their their course. And that's what my team have really helped me do because I'm dangerous. I can go into a meeting and mm. we'll try something and without really letting it flourish or get its legs, I'll be like, I don't know. I don't think that worked. Let's, let's develop a whole new thing because I love new stuff and changing mm. it up where it's great if I'm picking three to five of those in a longer term horizon, but it's not good if there's three to five of those every single month or every single week, because it becomes unsustainable to, well, because to innovate. You're trying, to jam, you're trying to jam too many boulders and, and there's no room for any more boulders. <laughs> there's no boulder. Yeah. yeah. 
boulders, more, yeah. <laughs> more boulders. <laughs> just throwing boulders every single day. <laughs> it's right. like, oh God, he's carrying yeah. more boulders into the meeting oh. today. But but that's that's a really good point. I think that you've got to like you know you need the boulders to start because without the boulders, then you you know you can't just have all little rocks, right? You you need no. you need couple of big boulders but then you're right it's the little rocks yeah. that but, but and then don't forget about the impact of the little rocks that they can actually have yeah you well, know i think it's have, easy to rocks have to live with boulders <laughs> they do and then and then after rocks what makes it harder then is because then you know if you follow the same analogy then you you look at it and you go there's no more room but then you go well actually i can put sand in yeah, put sand in right and then after sand well, actually i could put water in mm-hmm so again, it, it's that whole mastery concept that we spoke about in the last podcast where it's at what point do you stop? And I think the idea behind this point of wisdom is that you don't. Because if you do, then play a different game. Because if, if you get to the point where you, don't wanna, you, you no longer want to improve, you no longer want to invent, you no longer want to master, you no longer want to tinker, I think that's an indication to you need to start a new career. You need to start a new business. You need to go do something different. The game's over. Yeah. Because monotony soon follows where there is no innovation, there is no improvement, there's no growth. Mm-hmm. Monotony if soon follows. I like that. The, mm. the image I got there is if you've just been pouring sand in for a very long yeah. time, it's probably time to reflect and go find some it's rocks just, and a boulder maybe. Because rocks and boulders are exciting. I, I imagine a kid mm. just sitting on a playground just holding a bucket of sand, just pouring sand and just like deadpan, just like, man, this sucks. So, so to yeah. me, just avoid that. Yeah, I think I can very easily get to those. And I also think as well is that when, I mean, you look on the flip side, he says, not from persistently promote, promoting what's not working, right? You know, the success comes from persistently improving and inventing, not from persistently promoting what's not working. I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of promoting what's not working as well. It makes me think of how I diet. <laughs> it does. It really does. It's, it's like in that world, I keep promoting to myself, man, if you, if you want to lose weight, just stop eating. You're so stupid. Just eat less. But like it's I, – I, I kind of I, – I had to – I mean, okay. What this makes me think of is Einstein's kind of definition of insanity, right? It's yeah. you keep doing the same thing, but you expect a different result. That's the definition of insanity. I kept doing the same thing with my diet, hoping for a different result. And, and my different thing. Eat more thing food. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just if I eat more, doesn't that make you go to the bathroom more? And then, you, yeah. No, but seriously, I had, I had this belief. I, you know, I had this belief that if I just take a lot of fiber, I can eat whatever I want because then I'm just going to go to the toilet and then food attaches itself to the fiber and then it comes out, right? Yeah, it doesn't work. Doesn't work. <laughs> Put on three kilos. Yeah, it doesn't work. Don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, but look, so look, that was great. Thank you for that wonderful selection of the lesson. But I picked that. What else do you pick? <laughs> thank you. For- Is that a self thank you? Yeah, there was a self there's a self pat on the back. Let's move forward. I think I felt really self-conscious talking about the weight thing. So can we move on now? <laughs> no, let, let's stick on it. Let, no, let's move. Let's move. Let's, let's move. Let's move. Let's move. Um one of the stories that I really liked in the book was when he talks about Steve Jobs 
and dissing him, ab- absolutely dissing him and rolling him. So, and can you so can you provide, retell can you retell that a little bit? Providing some context, so his business is CD Baby, where he's helping independent artists essentially get their music out in the world. What late nineties, early two thousands, when Napster and that digital music revolution was taking place. Uh, Steve Jobs comes. Uh, I think he was about to do a deal with Apple uh, to get his independent artists onto iTunes, which would have been pretty new at that time. And then Steve Jobs, I think, got cold feet or something happened behind the scenes there. Long story short, Derek had to go out after telling everyone and all these musicians that they would be on Apple iTunes, that that wouldn't be happening. And then the way that he found out that that wouldn't be happening was Steve Jobs dissing him in one of the Apple MacBook keynotes and essentially pointing at his business saying that we aren't going to go down that path. We're actually going to curate and select the music that we're going to share with everyone. And then I think he invested $200,000. He developed everything Mm -hmm. to get that set up and had to refund everyone because it was the right thing to do. And then I think a week after they got notification from Apple that it was all fine and that they could go (laughs) back on. But I I love that as just such a, it's just such a conventional story. And I've experienced this in the business world where you think you've got this deal, you've got an agreement. We had one that happened about three years ago with the sponsor of ours. And it was a really similar thing where everyone's worked really hard on getting the deal. It's all in good faith. And then there's a massive change. Like that company that we were working with, that a mass, uh, a huge downsizing, a restructure. And we've just gone out and announced to everyone that we've got this deal. It's going to look like this. This is all the deal details and then a week like pretty much a week after we've announced it you have to then flip back uh, mm. on that decision and and i think that the the concept there that's really interesting is how do you then handle whether because those things happen in life all the time where you go down mm. a path you invest pretty heavily into it and then yeah. it changes a little bit like what do you do with it and i think his notion is super refreshing of well it, it, his his answer is nearly just is what it is. How do you do the right thing by your customers? How do you do the right thing by the people around you that are impacted? And then how do you move forward? But then also, I think he finishes that lesson with uh, don't don't overpromise what you don't have completely locked in that you can deliver. Yeah, and I thought that that was that was pretty powerful. Well, you know, the the interesting thing when I hear that is sometimes the act of overpromising is what allows you to stretch to points that you've never been able to stretch to before. I like that. You know, and it's, again, it's so weird, right? In that if, if you always play within your ability, then you'll never be extraordinary. I think being extraordinary sometimes requires you to be willing to say you can do more than you actually can, you know, but, 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 it, but, it, but, but being careful of that, right? Because if, <laughs> You know, like for you, if, if you if you said you could go do a magic show, you can't right now, right? Okay. However, if yeah, just be a really bad know. one. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. No, just oh, just the thought of you doing magic makes me want to kind of. Oh. I'm go- tomorrow I'm going out and I'm going to bust no, it. No, no. <laughs> I'm Please doing an don't. online magic show tomorrow. <laughs> Because I can't even go out and do one. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah, oh, it'll be extra terrible. But look, I feel like I just Vin taught me these tricks. This oh, is Vin Jang's fault. This is Vin Jang's magic. I apologize I, I, in advance. I I imagine you holding a wand, wearing a top hat, and I I would just get like goosebumps all over. Like you got a little cape on, and you're trying to do your magic. It'll be bloody terrible. Is but this I, your I, card? 
<laughs> You're gonna vomit, no. aren't you? Yeah, I will. Just, Ali, that's on a ugh. packet of cards. I'm just gonna just wash box. out the taste. I, 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 I love that. I love the idea of just be careful you don't overpromise. But I think just remember as well. Sometimes you have to stretch. Mm. I, I remember. I remember doing my first keynote. My first keynote was for a building association in Sydney, and this was like in 2013. And this was the first time I did a keynote. They paid me two and a half grand to do this keynote. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I, I went there and I pushed myself to do it because before that I was just a professional magician that did magic shows. So this was the first official keynote. You know, I'd spent three weeks writing the keynote trying to get, and this was the process of me stretching myself. This was me saying, yes, I can do a keynote when I actually have never done one before. And I overpromised, and 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 and, and you know, to, to to complete the story, I remember I did I did the keynote. I felt great. I thought it was amazing, and I walked off. And then the CEO was right there, and I was you know I was shaking his hand real confidently, like, "How's that, mate?" And <laughs> no joke, his words to me were, um, "Vin, have you have you done this before?" Oh, and wow. it just, dude, it crushed my soul. I, I actually returned the money. Uh, which oh, I was so desperately needed at the time, but I, I refunded the money to them because I just, I felt so bad. So I think in essence, I did what Derek Sivers did in a sense that I refunded people. Right. So I refunded him. And I remember one of the reasons I still, I think to this day am in the keynote speaking game is because of what that CEO then did. He then sent me a three page email telling me how I could have done things better. And it was crafted in the most caring way. Him to asking me, have you done this before? Didn't, he didn't deliver that very caringly. It came across like he was very embarrassed and very ashamed and very like, oh, crap. I, oh, I've got a lot of explaining to do. And he did because, you know, in hindsight, it was bad. And to, for him to have the kindness to do that. But I don't think he would have done that if I didn't refund the money. Mm. I don't think he would have refunded it if I didn't go to him and say, hey, I realized I overpromised. I realized that I stuffed up and that I didn't deliver. So I can't in good conscience take this money. And because I of that- I want to dig it, into that a little bit deeper yeah. before you finish it and you wrap it up. Sure. The thing that's, because what you're sharing there is a really powerful and unconventional lesson on, on a few fronts. Mm. The fact that you jumped out, you went outside your comfort zone in that situation. But- I love the, the unconventional move of refunding the money. And you've been doing stuff I mean, like is that. Is it unconventional? Is it unconventional or it is, I, I is think, it conventional? I think most people would have just taken the cash and then right. been like, all right, fine, I'll improve next time. But okay. th- there's an extra level of class potentially in that move of refunding it. And I, I, I know you do this a lot where if you don't feel like you've completely over-delivered, you will you will try to make it right, but then you'll take all the growth out of that lesson and then you'll come back again way stronger. And mm. there's something in there, and I don't even know whether you do this deliberately or not if you realize it, but I think that's why the stuff that you deliver is at such a high quality is because you're willing to suffer the pain of the growth initially after you jump out and you overpromise to that level where you will make the correction that's pretty significant and then you will rectify it and then improve it the next time, which is something that I haven't really seen many people do outside of yourself. As to have absolute... Thanks, you, thank you, brother. I love you. I, I think 
Well, but to have complete self-awareness and, and trying to develop more self-awareness and transparency as well with you and, you know, with, with our listeners is that I don't know if that's the reason why I do that. I think the reason why I give the money back or when I do things in that nature is my desire to be a good person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think it comes from, and you know, I'm not saying, look at me, I'm a good person, but I am. Uh, I, I, I am saying that in saying that. Jesus. But but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that I have the awareness now to know that that's probably the biggest driver of why I do that. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know that in order to get the good side out of others, you have to bring the good side out of you. I think we tend to have this innate desire. I want everyone to be a good person. Why isn't everyone a good person? And I think the reason why sometimes the people around us may not be a good person is it is it's a deeper question within of how good of a how good of a person are you to them so if we want people to be good people around us because you know we can't ask the world to just be all good to us because we don't have that much reach but what we can do is you have reach around the people that you serve if you start doing all the right things by the people around you guess what they start to do the right thing by you and in essence, what I'm saying is I wanted to do the, I wanted to do the right thing by that CEO because in a way, in the back of my mind, I think I almost knew that he would do something kind back for me. Mm. And it's, it's a part of me wanting to still please him and win him over. And it did. It worked. I got a great email back saying how impressed he was with that class move and then he followed, and he followed up by giving me three kind of wonderful pages of feedback, which now having back, looking back at that email, some of the feedback is absolutely terrible feedback. He did not know what he was talking about, but nonetheless, the action was beautiful. Mm. So I think, yep. I think reflect if, if the people around you aren't doing beautiful acts of kindness to you as a person, maybe it's a time to reflect as well. What kind of beautiful acts of kindness are you doing for the people around you? You know, I think, you know, if, if you start to have that time in your life where you're like, oh, no one's, no one's good to me and, and not, well, then I think it's almost a moment to reflect. What's something really good I've done recently for the people that I've loved? Mm-hmm. Or what, what have I done really nice for the people that serve me? Yeah, I think. Yeah, and, and that I serve. I think it's, a bit, it's nearly that abundance mentality, which. Yeah, yeah it is. A lot of people preach it but very mm. few act it consistently. And that's just a big thing that I've learned from you over the years is I've seen you do it over and over again without you. And this is just, again, from a practical application perspective, you're a great yeah. example of this where most people probably feel inherently that if they give too much, they're going to get stitched up and yeah. it will bite them at some point. That is a psychological well, fixation for a lot of you people. You will. No, but the thing yeah. is, you will get stitched up and it will bite you. But it doesn't happen nearly as often as you think. Yeah. The net net result from what I've seen net with result. the moves that you've, yeah. you've made, you're winning eightfold yeah. on the yeah. positive, call it generous moves, than mm. you have the other side. Like, like we're seeing it at the moment even in the sports space because especially with memberships that can't be accessed – Right. It's been interesting to watch a lot of sporting organizations with how they're handling it. You know, like a lot are trying to keep charging even though their product can't be used by customers because it's uh, based on the course. fear of their survivability, right, of the business. And mm-hmm. and you're seeing it even with a lot of professional sports teams that weren't playing for a while. 
um, they were put under scrutiny because they were still charging their members, even though, you know, people buy season tickets and they do these things, but they can't actually access their um, the, the product that they've paid for. But on the flip side, the club also knows that they'll go under if they don't have those funds coming in because they still have to pay the players. They're still playing at the moment. So it's a really tricky situation. But then there's been a group of businesses out there and companies that have played it proactive and they've tried their best to prioritize the customer rather than mm. themselves. And I've seen that a few times as well where they've said, look, we've, we've cut back all of our staff. We've, we've taken the hit. We know that as a business, we're going to struggle to recover this, but we wanted to look after you, the customer. And there, there has to be a, a part of goodwill there. And it's really mm. tricky, I think, in these times where call it the pie is shrinking a little bit in some areas. The resources are scarce. Yeah. yeah. Like, like how do you still enact generosity and abundance? Like, well, like we made the move of just pausing memberships and trying to do the best we could by our customers. But geez, we had some robust discussions around mm. how, do we, how do we best approach this? Because you can see it from a practical standpoint that if we make this move, we might not actually survive the other side of this in some extent. So it's like, how do you... How do you go about it? And I think going back to just that simple tool, and when I was reading this book again, it just that point of, well, at the end of the day, if you're a business, ultimately you're there to serve your your stakeholders, your customers, your employees, the people that are impacted by that organism, the utopia that you've built. And mm. I think that that is something really important, you know, for if there are entrepreneurs and professionals out there is make the decisions from that standpoint of, how does this best impact the people that use what it is that we've developed and created? And, and then you just have to, you know, put it out there to the gods nearly and hope that that goodwill comes back at some point. It might not be short term, but that's what I've seen you do really well. And I think it's a, it's a really important lesson, especially in these times. I think it's a really good thing you just shared for a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are listening it's it's important. It's funny. It's almost cheesy now and gross to, to, to even say, but when, when you do put your customers and those you serve first and, and you really do that, you, you, win, you win the championship. You may not win the game that you're playing right now, but you will win the tra- yep. championship if you, if you survive that long. Right. Yep. But, but, but ultimately when you think about it, that's almost one of the only ways to win the championship. Because if you lose, if you lose this game right now, then you won't even get into the championship. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Well, and, 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 but let me talk to this point now as well, right? Because this book was so short, because each lesson was like two pages, a page and a half, yeah. I think it's very easy to be misled by this book too. And one of the things that I read that I, I felt like now with the mindset of having been through, having built a couple of businesses now and, and been through the entire journey of an entrepreneur and whatnot, I read this and I thought, this is, this is good and it's bad. And, and, and the paragraph was this, I spent only $500 to start CD Baby. The first month I earned back 300 and the second month I made 700 and it's been pos- profitable every month since. So no, your idea does not need funding to start. And you also don't need an MBA, a particular big client, a person's endorsement, a lucky break or any other common excuse not to start. That, that's a mm-hmm. great paragraph to inspire you to start a project. It's great to get you into it. But it can also paint the illusion that it's easy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's easy to start. It's not easy to build a business like Derek has built. It's not easy to build a business like you've built or have like I've built. I, I, I think 
again, it's just, it's, it's dangerous because sometimes when you read that, you, it, it builds that picture that life business is easy and entrepreneurship is easy. And I think there's a lot of courses like that floating around right now on Facebook ads, you know, oh, it's so easy to just, you know, but I think it's easy to start. It's not easy to maintain. To sustain. For sure. Yeah, to sustain. Yes. And, and and that's the danger of absorbing things in such brevity because then it, it, you, I think a lot of entrepreneurs get burnt out because they don't build that resilience going into entrepreneurship because you're not taught about the ugly side of it. One of my cousins is a is a brilliant online entrepreneur who who, who resides in Hong Kong and, and you and I know him. His name is Hong. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And when we first started our entrepreneurial journey, we were shouting entrepreneurships from the rooftops of every damn building. Entrepreneurship's great. Come join us in the new movement. It's a great life. You do what you're passionate about. Do what you love. And we're smiling and we're giddy. Yeah. And now when you ask us, should we? Should I, should I be an entrepreneur? We're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm, I'm not sure if you should. I, mm, I don't know. Well, just because it's, we've seen the horrors. Really seen the horrors, yeah. And it's like we're, we're we're now coming back from battle, and they're like, "Should we go to battle, good sir?" And we're just like shaken with fear. <laughs> yeah, because we've seen the monsters that you've had to you've had to fight. I think it's it's a it's a good point. I I you know philosophically, I sit on the side where I agree with him. Yeah, uh, at a core level, and but I also agree with you. That when you've been through a few battles, you have a different viewpoint. I trust me, I've been through a fair few battles. Yeah, uh, I, know, I know you have. I know you have. I've, I've sat through here. those sad moments with you. <laughs> I don't know, I didn't sit here unscarred at all. So, mm. uh, but there is a beauty, I think, in the art of entrepreneurship and in the art of entrepreneurial thinking. And the way that he's suggesting it is the way that I would recommend that if you are going to go down that path, that you do start it. And I know he mm. simplified it with two sentences, but that concept, I, I get so scared when I hear a first-time entrepreneur saying that I've just quit my job and I'm selling my house to go pursue my dream. Like, yeah. yes, there is a too. chance that can work but the odds mm. are just so severely stacked against you like that. That gets me sweating. You know, it's the battle. It's like, you're, you're going straight into that battle and you have not had a fight yet. And you will and Ali, probably- and Ali sweats easily because he's hairy. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, right. You know, he's, he's easily sweats. Yeah. I'm sweating. Just thinking about somebody doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just always sweating. Going down that path <laughs> is, is crazy. So I think that what Derek hits on there is if that you are, if you are going to start something, definitely give it a go and give it a go in a low risk environment. Like that's the style that I teach and that I preach because that way, the worst thing that's going to happen is that you're going to learn the art form. Then yeah. you can do whatever you want with that. Because even if you decide that, that there, you said it there, there is a big difference between starting a business and starting a venture and then continuing it for 12 months, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And the number yeah. of people that survive that that long probably decreases at every single one of those year points. It's not linear. Um, the The reality is if it was easy, you know, people would just lock in, they'd start their business straight after uni and they'll just run it for 20 years. It, it just isn't that simple. But the notion of maybe limiting your upfront investment to two, $300, getting your website out there, trying to validate an idea as quickly as you can 
and then seeing whether this is for you or not is something really important. And what he's sort of outlining there is it's around developing something that is cash flow positive nearly mm. from day one. So that you're not not only are you able to then sort of learn the art of entrepreneurship. And he's not talking big numbers there, right? Like he's saying, I put in 500, I made 300 and 700. Whereas I think the other big misconception is, is I'll put in 300 or 500 and that should net me 50,000 because I've now started my business. (laughs) It's expectation management. I think it's expectation management. And then here's the problem that links to that. When you quit your job and jump into something, now the expectation is I better make $50,000, right? Whereas if you took half a day off work a week, then just aim to make what you would have made at work in that half day. So half a day, you get paid a hundred bucks. Your goal should be, how can I make a hundred bucks with my passion or my side kind of hustle, right? I think expectation management in the realm of entrepreneurship today is just out of whack. I, I think it's really, really out of whack. I, I think we, we, I'll, well, because we see all these other kind of Instagram and Facebook entrepreneurs and then, you know, driving their Lamborghinis and their Ferraris. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with them. They're beautiful cars, but it's just like, yeah, but that's, I don't know if that's real, you know? That's yeah. It. Yeah. I, I think, think there it, needs to be an adjustment that needs to happen in, in kind of that culture. I think an adjustment in terms of expectation management is very important. And, and it becomes saturation as well. You know, like if you look at podcasts, yeah. Yeah. similar thing. Like, it, yeah. like those who started a podcast 10 years ago, that yeah. first mover advantage. You know, they were, mm. they were in there. Like, they're, like if you start an Instagram page today and your goal is to get a million followers, it's going to be pretty hard compared yeah. to what it was uh, 2009 or whatever it was when Insta was big, right? Like it's, it's also looking at what are you walking into? Do you, mm. do you have early adopter or first mover advantage? Um, because yeah. that's another thing that becomes pretty important. Like right now, what's happened with the curve of entrepreneurship, it's way easier to start, but it's yeah. probably more difficult to to build something with sustainable value. Like because well, everyone's building something. And the likelihood is, is the the spot that you're aiming for, the niche, may mm. already have a, a player in there. So that's probably another just side entrepreneurship tip is if you are looking at starting something, start with the smallest niche that you can. And his big lesson that I take away there is, I think he's just like, all I wanted to do was just sell my CD, you know? So he fulfilled a personal need that he had, and then he built Mm. the solution to it. And I love that concept of you do something that you're passionate about or something where you've got a problem that you need solved that at the very least, if you created this product or this service, you're going to use it yourself. And Mm. I've always done that with every single thing that I've started. And it doesn't mean that they're all successful, like most are failures, but what it does result in is that at the very least, you've developed a product that you can utilize and use. And then you've yeah. got all the learnings and the lessons of, that come along with it. Like you learn a new industry, a new area, a new, a new ecosystem. It, it's so, why they often say, if the only thing you're getting from what you're doing is money, you're shortchanging yourself. Can't be about that. It's- it can't, well, it can't, it can't be only about that. I think it needs to be that to some degree. I mean, let's not be too Zen here. I think money is absolutely critical, but if the only <laughs> thing you're getting, let's say like, if the only thing you're getting from your job or your career or your entrepreneurial business is money, you, you, you're losing. Mm. 
Because there's the experience, there's the skill development, there's the fulfillment, there's the joy, there's the camaraderie with the people you're doing it with, there's the connection, there's the experiences. There's so much. Whereas I think it's so easy just to get so locked in on the paycheck. It's so locked in on the amount of revenue we bring in. And there's a danger in that because in in terms of expectation-wise, we tend to heavily have expectations on the financial side of things and then have very little expectations on connection, fulfillment. I think we've got to up the up the expectations in the other areas as well. I mean, I think it's critical. Yep. Yeah. Like I, I'm feeling it at the moment sort of because it's more at the – we're probably more at the scale stage or the, you know, the optimization stage of the business life cycle and mm. what we're doing. But then you, you compound that with, say, a global pandemic. The things that you're doing as an entrepreneur aren't mm. the things that you originally signed up for. Like, like yeah. my whole thing was about building products, about building community at the beginning. It's about testing ideas, you know, like, like the goals, if I look back at what they were like in 2014 and how simple they were, you know, it was around so many different things. Whereas nowadays it's, it's such a heavy, like numbers and finance and, mm. and as you build out and you build an exec team and an operational team and all of that. The, the paradox and the flip side of that is that you start losing a little bit of connection with some of the stuff that you loved about it at the beginning. So then it's about redefining why you then love this game. So now it's more around problem solving. Like if I look mm. at this year in a nutshell, it is the most extreme game of problem solving that absolutely probably likely ever experience in terms of variables, yeah. um, moves that you can play. Going back to a chess analogy, it's like, Usually you'd have a full board. Right now we've got mm. like a pawn and <laughs> one pawn. And a king. Like to, <laughs> you got a pawn and a king, and the king's asleep. Like, and, and no, and, and the other and the other team has a full chessboard. Yeah, got, yeah, which is like planet Earth. Um, yeah, so so I think that that and he talks about it in the book. I love the the honesty and the self awareness. Is he says yeah. that as you keep reading through this book, you will mm. notice that. I think I can't remember the exact words that he uses, but my name, my is shoot it. it this is what he says. He goes, you'll notice that as my company got bigger, my stories were less happy that the lessons that was my lesson learned. I'm happier with five employees than with 85 and the happiest working alone, whatever you make, it's your creation. So make it your personal dream and make it come true. Don't veer from that path. That is such a perfect lesson yeah. with yep. just encompassing life and entrepreneurship is he went through the whole experience of what, mm. well, not the whole experience, but a pretty large experience of the entrepreneurship world that a lot of people don't get, which is scaling a business to call it eight figures. Mm. And I love the self-awareness there where he's yeah. like, look, uh, and, and this is the downside, right? that we see a lot of people living as well is that they build an amazing company. And I see this with so many entrepreneurs that I've spoken to. They build this amazing company, but they're trapped by it yeah. because it's too big. They can't control it. They've invested too much into it. Too many people rely on it, but inherently they're probably not all that connected to it. And I think yeah. that that becomes something that is worth reflecting on as you grow, whether it's in your career, your work life, whatever it is, there'll be a point where, it maybe needs a readjustment. Well, well, here's the thing. To connect it to back to what we were saying in the beginning is that they've stayed on the roller coaster for too long now. They haven't jumped off again. 
right? They've, they've, they've kind of followed the flow for too far. You know, again, I mean, he said it himself. I, I didn't want to do the T's and C's. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to, I didn't want the company to grow. But something that I found interesting about Derek is that even though he kept preaching, I don't want it to grow. I don't want it to grow. It grew and it yeah. grew and it grew. So he didn't actually stop it from growing, whereas he could have. So, I mean, you know, as, and he didn't talk to that point very much, which, which I thought was very interesting in that, you know, every time it was growing, oh, I didn't want it to grow, but you did let it grow though. And this is, in, you know, look at, look at me critiquing Derek Sivers, but it's more just understanding that even those who are that capable of being that self-aware and being that Zen-like, they still fall victim to the current, you know, that, that pulls them so strongly. And, and like you said, you see so many entrepreneurs. I see so many of my friends, you know, like they start their careers, they're loving it, but then they do more hours, but then they take on more projects, but then they, they want to, you know, they didn't necessarily want the promotion, but you know, it's the logical thing to do. Most people say, because that's where they get more growth. So then they take it and then now it turns into something they hate. I think, I think I from like stopping that. things from, I think from stopping things from turning into something you hate, you have to be willing again, back to Nemo. Look, stay in that stream, stay in that current that's pulling you. But remember, you can exit that anytime you want. And, and in an, it's not easy, I think, to, you know, like, like Derek, the reason why he didn't stop growing is because it's not easy to actually say, no, I don't, that's it. I'm not growing anymore. Like to, to make that move is very difficult. It's like for me, it resembles me leaving the US. Leaving the US was really hard. Well, you because exited being, the current. I did, but it was hard, Ali. It was hard. And even when I left, I came back, I had a bit of an anxiety attack. Like, oh my God, have I done the wrong thing? Well, exiting the current isn't easy. That's the other part. Like people are- The momentum in it is so strong. Well, you go with Nemo. How happy is the time when everyone's in the current and there's turtles and all, everyone's in the current. And then every time that they're off the current, something nearly bad happens or it's got an uncomfort level to it. So Mm. that analogy- has that side to it that when you do slip outside of the current, yeah, it won't be comfortable, and yeah, you'll actually, likely yeah. be you'll be kind of swimming against it. That's or so true. Outside of it, that's and so true. You kind of ultimately then have to be responsible for how you feel when you're out of it. Well, and then well, which because- current are you going to slip into at some point? Well, but here's the thing. There's such a beautiful analogy again. Is because when you're in that current, you don't need to do anything. The current moves you. When you're out of the current, there's nothing moving you. You move you, mm. right? You have to swim. So I think, yeah, you have to swim and, and it's going to be hard. And then here's the thing. The longer you've been in the current, the less you've used your arms, right? So your arms now are all like weak and not strong. And then when you, when you fall out of it now, you, you, you're like, you've got these weak little arms and you're trying to swim and you're like, oh my God, they're not working. You know, and, and it's, I like it's swimming really action. painful. I hope I revealed I don't know how to swim. Like when I think of swimming, it's, it's this. Yeah, that's how I do it. Throw me into the water. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. No, yeah, I, I actually do, do more of this. Yeah, I do yeah. more of this. Yeah. Uh, after the, my online magic course tomorrow, I'll do a swimming lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Learn how to swim. Learn how to swim with <laughs> RP. <laughs> So, a disclaimer. Emotional serious disclaimers. Yeah, you are not going to drown. High, high chance of dying. <laughs> and and your magic show, high chance of being thoroughly disappointed. Yeah, you'll probably get yeah. burnt. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I, 
Again, going back to the simplicity of this book, again, rarely do you read a book that that highlights the lessons so simply, so clearly, mm-hmm. and so so wisely. Yeah. I, I, I love this one. I love this one where, where one of the stories it says, uh, I miss the mob. Yeah, I miss them. Huh? Really? What do you mean? <laughs> when the mafia ran this town, it was fun. There were only two numbers that mattered. How much was coming in and how much was going out? As long as there's more going in than going out, everyone was happy. I knew you'd love that one. I love, I love <laughs> not that I love drug dealers or the mob. I mean, not I the mafia. It, yeah, there's lots of things. Yeah, they, they're pretty cool, but they're also very bad. <laughs> but the, the great thing about that is I love just focusing on what's coming in and going out. I think sometimes when I run my business, I get so caught up on so many different numbers because probably because I've got friends who are accountants and financial advisors and whatnot. And, and they, they make me so conscious of so many different numbers and it freaks me out. And I, I just love as an entrepreneur looking at two numbers. As long as there's more coming in than going out, happy days. It's, from a financial standpoint, it's probably about as simple as that. The reason I bring this up is other areas in life could also be simple as this, right? We, we doesn't like I, I, the, the big urge I get from this book is that life is not as complex as we think it is. We make it overly complex. Yeah. Do you, you do feel you, it? Cognitive, you feel it cognitively when life is too complex. Like you, you get that weight. Like you can, I can see it on my face when I'm in that zone of just life being way too complex and yeah. it doesn't have that seamlessness to it or the preciseness to it. You're pushing against things or you're overthinking things. And you know that face, you see it on people and they just look like, like it's just, it's like a, a sign of stress nearly where that complexity is just eating away at such a aggressive level. Yeah. And it's super hard to get out of that zone well, i think when you when you get stuck in it what's well, link it into the world of magic for a second right what, what's what's really interesting is that the the greatest pieces of magic that you see are the simplest to do mm-hmm. however the illusion that magic creates is that the best pieces of magic the assumption is that you go oh man that they, there must be devices in his sleeves. There must be propulsion systems in her shoes. And like, you just come up with the most ridiculous, there must be technology behind that screen. You know, that's probably not a real chalkboard. That's probably this. And often you're wrong. Often it's so simple that when you find out the solution, you get disappointed. And one of the things that I go through often in the world of magic is, you know, you, you see the effect. So magicians uh, in, in our world, it's, it's effect and method. So whenever you see a trick, it's the effect you're seeing and how it's done is what we refer to as the method. And magicians deal in the world of trading secrets. So we buy secrets, right? So I remember there's this one trick that I saw and, and I won't describe which one it is because I don't want to reveal it and, and, and then whatnot. But I remember seeing it, I was like, oh, I must know how this trick is done. And it's the trick that I use in my keynotes where it's the scroll. And then, you know, throughout the whole keynote, people do this and they do this and do this. There's a box in view the whole time. And at the end of the show, I take that box down and I've, everything that's happened in the show has happened on the scroll that I wrote down, right? So when I thought, I bought this trick, I paid thousands and thousands of dollars for it. I expected technology, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, like, and then when I got it, I kid you not. I'll use one word to describe it. There was a flap. 
And I was like, no, there's a, why did I pay so much money for this? And, and what it taught me philosophically, funny enough, is that it, in life, we, we fall for the illusion that life is complex. However, I think life is a lot simpler than we think. And we are bombarded by complexity because we allow ourselves to then use complexity as an excuse to not pursue life in its most meaningful way. Complexity, I think, is the easiest excuse to use. Why, why don't you do this? Oh, it's too hard. Why don't you do that? Oh, you know what? It's too hard. Why don't you start? It's too hard. And the word it's too hard is the easiest or the biggest illusion, I think, that, that we, we fall for. Because yeah. everything I read, everything I read in this book is simple, simple, simple. Like I've got another one, right? Um, never forget why you're doing what you're doing. Are you helping people? Are they happy? Are you happy? Are you profitable? Isn't that enough? Yes. That should be enough. That should be enough. And and I'll I'll I'll, I'll combo you. I'll link that with another one. Which, <laughs> I was waiting which for the second like. part. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hit you with a bloody... <laughs> yeah, go, 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 box, box. I will, I will, I shall, I shall. <laughs> Do it in and a British accent. Do it in your dad's accent. We haven't brought him out yet. We haven't brought him out yet, yeah. yeah well, come on. Okay. Come on, this it's time. Is, this is what... Well, I'll do Kurt's accent in a, in a nation accent. Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller were at, a part, were at a billionaire's extravagant party and Kurt says... What the hell? Wow. Look at this place is so deny. This guy has the everything. And then Joseph says, yes, but I have something he'll never have. I have enough. Oh, big Joseph. Bloody big. hell. It's a bit arrogant big. of you to say that, Joseph, but damn, yeah. isn't that yeah, powerful? That is, <laughs> that is powerful. You know, and- Especially when you're in a billionaire's house. Oh, yeah, that's a bit much, wouldn't it? I mean- bit arrogant are you joseph that's a bit it's a bit being almost you're teetering on the edge of being a wanker <laughs> so but however it's it's still very wise in that yeah, it's profound i think in order to have enough in life you have to recognize that life is a lot simpler than you think mm-hmm. I, I think in assuming that life is complex we fall victim to never having enough because if we go back to what Derek Sivis said before, are you helping people? Are they happy? Are you happy? Are you profitable? You've yeah. got enough. Life's good. You know what's Life's- really difficult? It's living in the world of simplicity. It's so hard. Look, I say that like a champion, but I can't do it. Yeah. Like to practice simplicity is so difficult. Like say, say just recently, one of the things that I've been doing just because I'm a bit strange is every day just trying to be super conscious of every breath that I take in and out. Oh, that makes, and, me, feel, that makes me feel so anxiety. That makes me right? feel so anxiety. Hey, speak the English. Yeah. yeah, speak the English. And it's something so simple is breathing because what I find is when my mind gets really active or get into that problem-solving zone, the breath is a pretty good anchor just to get out of it, just from, a, again, practical application of quieting down the thought process. And recently I've been in that space. So uh, the anchor is breathing. But do you know how difficult it is to do something as simple as consciously breathing just in and out for a sustained period of time? It is nearly so- impossible. <laughs> it is. But, but it is the, 
easiest action. Like so easy. Like literally we could do it right now. And it's just like in and out, right? But to be conscious of it and to do it, and the power of it is pretty powerful. <laughs> the power yeah, of it is absolutely. powerful. Great English. It no. it just does it does relax you. It nearly puts you into like a different headspace. It takes you out of the current, essentially, if you go back to that analogy. But so difficult, right? So that simplicity part, and then just being being satisfied with the sim- simple stuff. Because what I find, and I don't know if others relate to this, is that the mind will want to reactivate as quickly as it can to get super complex. Like it wants to work. It wants to do what it's designed to do, which is to think and to problem solve and to ideate and to map out dialogue and to do all of those bits and pieces. But Jesus is nice and liberating when you can separate yourself from it. Um, I think it's harder and harder to do, I think it's harder and harder to do because of the brain always wanting to be stimulated. I mean, you look at social media, you look at, you know, you hear so many people talking about social media and whatnot. I, I find myself like I had to so, like I have to go back on a phone detox because mm-hmm. it slowly crept back into my life where I, I kid you not, I find myself for an hour, like this is, you know, me daring to be a bit vulnerable here, but for, there'll be an hour I'm sitting there. I'm like, <gasps> what just happened? <laughs> what the frick? And I'm on, like, I'm on a rampage of watching scrolling people, like, like it scrolls between like just prank videos that partners doing themselves and i'm <laughs> going i bet you that's fake i bet you that's fake to then people playing pranks on their grandmothers and then playing pranks on their children and then enough and then i, I kid you not man I, and then it's, it's literally like that that reaction i did was no exaggeration it's just like a moment of freak out mm-hmm. a freak out moment and then and then i go into a state of sadness because then i go man, I should have spent time with my wife. I should have spent time with my son. What the hell am I doing? And then it happens again the next day. And so, so to me, you know, thank you for calling that out for a second because you basically just did another baby fist punch to the throat. So thank you. They're very, they're very tiny, powerful fists. Lucky <laughs> you've got such a big Adam's apple. So oh, I could dude. dodge it because you just punch it. It'll just be like, it'll just be mush. Wouldn't even feel it. I'd just be breathing <laughs> I, normally. I don't, I don't think I <laughs> anywhere near being a real man as uh, you have the beard and I don't. I think you look like more of a real man. I may I may be 1% more of a real man, but you look at it. You, you look hey, like it. You've got a what beard. Is, what, what is a real man? What is, what is <laughs> a real man? <laughs> a, we, uh, we should also review the book Man's Search for Meaning. That's also Sydney Porter. Great book. Wait, is that the book? Yes, I think it is. Yes. It's a great book. But look, I... I, I, again, going back to the simplicity thing, like you said, it's hard to do the things that are simple because our brains always want to be stimulated. And I think mm. in my mind, I've fallen victim time and time again to the behavioral thinking that if I'm not busy, I'm not being effective. I'm not being productive. And, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Just got to be conscious of that. I think it's worth exploring that a little bit more because that seems like such an underlying theme for so many of us is that if we're not doing stuff and if we're not fully active or we're not straining ourselves to like the cognitive or physical extreme where we're failing, you know, and, and I think I feel it, you feel it. So many people do that. It's like, like just, can you imagine just taking three days off without thinking about anything that's practical or pragmatic or, I, I tried doing that. 
I tried doing that this weekend. So my yeah. entire week this week, I I, I installed uh, doorbell cameras and cameras around my house because you know I'm all Google Home now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what was interesting was every time I go into my studio, I have to go via my front door right? because my, my door lock on the back of the studio is broken. So I have to go via the garage going up every time. And then for this whole week, I looked at my doorbell cam and every day at around 3.50, 4 a.m., I'm up and I'm working, right? And then I, so I said to myself, look, you've got to take time off. You, you're kind of falling apart because you get to the point where you, you've just worked too much and you're overdoing it. You're no longer productive. So I tried to take Saturday and Sunday off and it was so hard. It was just so hard to do it. It really was, Ali. It was just one of those things where I sat there and I felt, whoa, I'm falling back into that trap again of not being able to live. So then like, and again, so spontaneously to break that pattern last night, we were, we were just having dinner and we'll t- we'll, my friends and my cousins and I were all over and, and you seriously are missing at these dinner tables. I cannot wait till Melbourne opens up. But then we we're sitting there and we were just saying, hey, look, we need a pattern break. So we convinced my friends who had jobs and my cousins who had jobs to take a sickie on Monday. I won't say their names to call them out, but it was great because I'm very persuasive. I used all of my communication skills to persuade them. Oh, and evil man. Even one of them was the most, like, you know, he, he was the most uh, stubborn. The others were like, oh, yeah, Siki, we'll take a Siki. Well, he was like, no, I must do the right thing. So we, we invaded his brain. And then the moment he said yes, the whole group roared and said, yes. And the whole weekend, that was the only moment I was able to switch off because then we went crabbing to 2 a.m. in the morning, right? We got our wetsuits on and went crabbing. But to me, the reason I tell you that story is because unless something is a hell yeah, I can't switch out of that mode. So to me, the hell yeahs are not only powerful as a tool to help you gain clarity, it's a tool to help you remember how to live. You know, whereas if you go too long without a hell yeah, you forget to live. You just kind of, you live in that, you live for the seven out of tens. And the the 10 out of tens every now and then, they just, they snap your back and go, hey, this is living. Yep. And I think it's really important to define what the hell yeahs are in your life. Yeah. Because the hell yeahs can be the really simple things. Mm. Like to me, breathing as simple mm. as that is, is a massive hell yeah, because it, it, it's the foundation of so many other things. It improves connection and, you know, thinking and just enjoyment of the day. You know, start that day breathing well, as silly as that sounds. It's like sleep. Like a sleep has to, like, like sleep has to be a hell yeah. Like we, yeah. we, as a society, we probably don't prioritize sleep as much as what yeah. we should. Now it's happening more and more. But, yeah, but how it, important it is that? Like if you have, like, like if you have two hours of sleep, it doesn't matter what you've got on during the day. It's going to be depleted in some shape or form, and you will pay the price for that lack of sleep. I, um, I can tell you how much I prioritize sleep now as well. In that, like last night when we decided to do that, normally we would have just dropped Xander, my son, off with my mum, and then pick him up on the way back, and then wake up at six a.m. because that's when he wakes up, right? But instead, we said no if we do this 2am thing, we need to at least sleep until like nine. (laughs) We need to sleep. We need to sleep in. And, and I I realize that now too, because I've become so conscious of what are the things that drain me? I've been more hyper aware of draining people Mm. and draining activities. 
Mm. If something yeah, drains awesome. me, I become hyper-conscious of it now because I, I, I don't want to feel drained, Ali. Like some, well, look, look there's, there's sometimes you cannot avoid it, but I'm talking about that, that heavy drain, that drain of absolute exhaustion to the point of depletion emotionally. I, I don't want that anymore. And lack of sleep is one of them. And also some people mm, are one of those. Talk about the people. You. Talk about people that and what it is well, that drains it. Because I think that's something that people are, again, reactive to. You know, we talk about yeah. business and actions and careers and all of that. I think being proactive with the people around you and nearly applying well, look, the same rule of how, yeah, no. Well, look, the, the, look, I can tell you this now. that I've got friends and, and you're included in that, and in that group. You're very lucky to be. Um, oh. <laughs> 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 I wish we had a sound effect of like, whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> yeah. No, but look, I'll, I'll, I'll be rather frank, right? There are friends of mine that I love. <laughs> indicating there are friends of ours that I don't. Sorry, let me reframe that. I love going to name names. You have just been fired. I, I love my friends. And regardless of how negative you are, how draining you are, or any of my friends that I, you know, that I that I truly love and my family members, it's all good. I'll I'll be there. I'll sit with you through it. Right. However, if you stay there too long, I will slap you and I'll get you out of it. But then there are acquaintances that I have that I don't love, again, to be quite frank, who are, who are very draining, who, who right now look at the situation that we're currently in and only view it as negative and refuse to view it as a time for reinvention, a time for recalibration. They just refuse to. And, and, and again, again I, I, I appreciate it. I, I understand that, that it's rough, but, but it's like, the people who just refuse to move out of that headspace, I can't sit with those people for my own sanity. I just can't. I, I can't do it for extended periods of time, week in, week out. I can't do it. So, so there, there were a few of, because when I came back to Adelaide, you know, a lot of acquaintances reached back out and you know, I wanted to be nice. I wanted to say good day, but, but I, I just, I can't maintain some of those relationships. I just can't. It's, it, it takes, it, it drains me of life. It really does. And, and it brings me to, to, to a one kind of section here where Derek says <laughs> so brilliantly, several years ago, one guy tried to light his shoes on fire on the plane. Now for all of the future, now for all of the time in the future, millions of people per day have to queue up and take their shoes off at the airport because of one dumb moment. And what he's erring to there is don't let one experience throw you off all experiences, right? Don't let one, don't, like, don't let one customer treat you a certain way, cause you to treat everyone in the same way. And, and I wanted to bring this to a point that you probably don't know about, or you do know about this, but I had a, I had a friendship fallout that, that really put me off making friends, put me off making new friends. And I, I have to say that when we first became friends, I was a little bit hesitant. I really was. I would, I would have been too. <laughs> that was just natural. <laughs> that was, that was that smart. That was that smart. You should, have, you should have listened to that and probably <laughs> questioned your decision. <laughs> now that you say said that, I, I regret this decision. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But it's funny because 
I, because of a few bad, because I took, I took that example and looked at my life and went, Hey, when has this happened? And I went, you know what? That happened almost with my friendship with Ali. And it, it kind of, it gave me a bit of a scare, right? Because you're one of my best friends now in my life. And it's like, I almost didn't have this beautiful friendship with this hairy man. Mm, I always really missed hairy. out on if I allowed mm. that one kind of terrible experience at the time to throw mm. me off. And, and I think, you know, the reason I bring this up for, for all our listeners is that think about something that you've applied as a blanket rule because of one bad experience that has just thrown you off now of going never again. I'm never again doing this. I think we've got to be so careful of that because I think in our brains as human beings, we tend to write things off that fast, you know, and it may not be writing someone off, off someone off. It may be writing off something that you wanted to try. You know, you tried building something online. You tried to do this and then it didn't work. And then you just write it off. Never again. I think that's, that's very dangerous. Yep. I say the thing again, and I love our, I love our flip side. Because the two the two points that you just made are making me reflect on how I've probably gone the other way. Where so you, in this lockdown Well, yeah, in this in this lockdown period, because I uh, love I love solitary time and I always have. But what I've found is I've probably neglected a lot of relationships nearly too far that way because it's like, oh well, I, I can't see anyone. I can't do those things. So I've just gone more in my head and it's led to a little bit of that disconnect, nearly that feeling of guilt. And I was speaking to a, a good friend of mine the other day and he called up and he's like, yeah, I've just been reaching out to a couple of the guys, having a chat. And it was such a beautiful conversation, like talking to him. And mm. that kind of triggered me. And it's like, oh crap, you know, like what, what he's doing is so nice and it's such a good thing that i have to do a little bit more of so it was just a nice little reset of when i reflect back on this lockdown period it's like yeah there's been the sort of there's been a smaller group but if i look back on it have i reached out have i connected with the people that you know are close to me enough um and and then that, it sort of led to just writing out just a couple of messages and stuff just to a few people just to get that connection back of um, you know, like, like that gratitude nearly of that relationship. And just because we're in this environment doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, which is my tendency of what I do. Like if it's not front of mind, like I'm not the person that usually picks up the phone and then calls, you know, like I'll, I will get triggered by seeing them pop up or whatever it is and shoot a message. But, uh, I think when you are in this environment of detachment, it's, it becomes pretty important to, to maintain those connections and just to remember the, the people and the importance and the roles and sharing stories and just those fun moments. It's easy to lose sight of those a little bit. I think I the beautiful core lesson of what you shared there as well. I don't know if you, you, I don't know if you thought of this insight while you were sharing that, but the fact that if you want more of something, give that something. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It, it, it's, it's funny. If you want more connection, then give connection. And you'll get it in return. Like that is the ultimate example of give it like give and you shall receive, right? Hundred percent. It, it's one of those things where if you if, if you want more, and again, it, you can almost connect it to to the money component that we spoke about. If you want more money, then then be more generous. 
you know, and, and again, you, again, I just want to remind people that when I talk about generosity, there's a core generosity component that I like talking about. And is that when you think of generosity, what do most people think of money? Right. But, and then, then, then maybe 5% of people think of time, but then I think there's another category of generosity that I, I want to share. And it's the generosity of communication. Like Ali, you and I right now to talk the way we're talking, it takes effort, right? Because if like, let's just, let's just give a little bit of a rendition of you and I putting no effort into the way we're talking. So, so imagine we're just talking like this. I'd be asleep because you're not engaging enough. Your communication skills are subpar. Drop yours down. down. Let's, Let's do a bit of this. So if we just, you know, how's your day going? Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, did you, did you like the, did you like the book we read? Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. yep. I don't know. Cool. But can you see what I mean, right? Okay. So that's, that's the generosity of energy within the way you communicate. And I think that if we want good vibes, if you call it that, then we need to put out good vibes. And the way you put out good vibes is you can do that with the way you speak. I think it's so powerful that how often do we fall into the trap of speaking to our partners like that, to our kids like that, to our friends like that. When we give no energy, we give no generosity in terms of energy. So I think it's just something I wanted to bring up in that I just, I look at the world as, as a stage, right? And every time you go out, whether it's to the gas attendant, the, the, the petrol station attendant or the grocery person clerk, or you call Telstra because something's wrong with your internet or whatever you do. There's a form of generosity that you can provide and you will get it back. If you, if you play some beautiful music for them, if you use your voice generously, because here's the reality. When you go to sleep at night, guess what? Tomorrow, all of it resets. You're not saving for anything. There's no saving of this. Don't go through the mindset of going, oh, I'm conserving my energy. For what? Tomorrow when you wake up, it resets. So I think one of the most generous things we can do in life is just to give energy, to give those good vibes with the way we use our voice. Uh, I, I hopefully that, will, yeah. Something that stood out there is I think human energy is maybe a commodity or a currency that we don't really value enough. Because if yes. you think about what's happened this year, it feels like energy is depleted. Yeah. Right. So what you're talking about there is that we kind of can control the amount of energy that we can share with others and maybe collectively or there's pockets where that energy level is maybe just reduced a little bit. Like I was talking to Chantal, my wife about this. She's such an extrovert and such a connector. Mm. And I think she's Mm. feeling a little bit down at the moment because she can't share the stories. Like there aren't enough experiences with their friends, like when they talk and like zoom and all that, like it's just not meeting the level of expectation for the connection that yeah. she would get when out with the girlfriends or family members, because there just isn't that much energy and impact and stimulus happening at the moment. So then there isn't that results in not having all that much to talk about or to, to review or discuss or whatever it is. So I wonder like you being communication God, What are some practical ways for people to increase that energy in this kind of environment? I think the first thing is making that mental shift. Genuinely thinking that when I'm speaking to someone, I can actually give them a feeling. 
I can give more than the words. I can give more than the word choice that I use. I can use, I can give more than the modality of words. Like most people, the modality of communication that they think of is just like just words. The words, the the way I communicate is the words I choose to use. No, no, that's, that's just the music notes that you're telling people about. I think the way you play is more than even the notes because you can take a simple song and play it beautifully right? Meaning a simple conversation with your children, a simple conversation with a friend, your wife, your partner, your community, the, the thank you, the way you thank the person when they serve you at the grocery store is a simple song, but it can be played beautifully in a way that makes the other person feel great. So you have to make that cognitive and that, that cerebral shift in your head that every time you open your mouth, it's, it's an opportunity to spread joy, to spread happiness you know yeah. and and i think that's one thing and then the second thing is i would say attention and get a children's book and practice reading it because children's books are great in that all the words within children's books are emotive words they're words that force you to be expressive and and what you have to understand here i'll, I'll share one more thing and i'm not going to bombard this with communication stuff but it's Understand that the voice you have right now is not your natural voice. So many people get attached to their voice and go, you know, you know, when I get them to do this, they go, oh, Vin, that feels fake. It feels phony. Or even when I get them to play a bigger version of themselves, they go, oh, Vin, that feels fake and it feels phony. I'm going, no, you're too attached to this idea that this is your natural voice. Your voice that you have right now is not your natural voice. The voice you have right now, Ali, the voice I have, this is our habitual voice. These are a series of habits that you've formed based on the people that you admired when you were young and you have the voice as a accumulation of all the behavioral traits from the people that you admire. The voice your you have is voice not your- is your dad's voice, right? Yeah, this is my natural <laughs> voice. What the hell are you talking about, man? Like, again, it's just understanding that it's not your natural voice allows you to then move away from it a little. There's again, there's so many, when it comes to voice, there's so many mental barriers that keep people constrained. I have so many of my students, right? I remember this one student of mine from Malaysia. And when he speaks, he speaks like this. Because all the people he's, he, he admires in his life, they're very gentle. You know and look, that's, it, look it, that's a beautiful voice. It's beautiful, but your voice can do so much more. It can do so much more. It's like only playing seven keys out of an 88 piano, like 88 keys on a piano. So, so to me, look, those are some little quick things, but we've got onto this because of if you want something in your life, give more of it. And one of the things that we all can do more with is good vibes, good feelings, good emotions, positive emotions. And the way you get more of that is by first giving it. And one of the most pragmatic ways you can give more of it is how you use your voice. How you use your voice. So look, can I, can I bring us to what I think is one of the most pivotal paragraphs in the book? That you can't read this book without reading this paragraph and then just smiling all throughout it. I think you know what I'm going to talk about. It. It, it's one of the most brilliant emails that that Derek writes out to his customer base. And I'll read it to you all and, and as you all auditorially enjoy it. So when you buy a CD from CD Baby, they send this email to you, right? And it says, your CD has been gently taken from our CDB, CD Baby shelves and sterilized contamination with contamination-free gloves and placed onto a satin pillow. 
and a team of 50 of our employees have inspected your CD and polished it to make sure it was in the best possible condition before mailing. Our packaging specialist from Japan lit a candle and hushed. The hushed sound fell over the crowd as he put your CD onto our finest golden lined box that money could buy. We all had a wonderful celebration afterwards and the whole party marched down the streets to the post office where the entire town of Portland waved bon voyage to your package. It's on its way in our private jet, CD baby jet on this day, Friday, June 6th. I hope you had a wonderful time shopping at CD Baby. We sure did. Your picture is now on our wall as the customer of the year. We're all exhausted and we just cannot wait for you to come back to cdbaby.com. I love that so much. I, I remember reading this with a huge smile on my face, yeah. knowing that I think in business, we have forgotten to have fun. Yep. We are taking things too damn seriously. Mm-hmm. So, so as, as I drink from my Iron Man cup. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a real man. I'm a real man. That email was a really big game changer for us as we were doing our rebrand a couple of years ago. And we, as a team, we looked at that, like that email was the starting point. But then also looking at other businesses that have injected humor and their personality into the business. And I think it's something that just should be, we should see a lot more of. And when we see it, we all connect with it. People mm. love it when, when people yeah. show the emotion. Like I'll read you a little sentence that we've got from the bottom of our website at the moment. So okay. it's, it's true. We really are Australia's greatest golf community, but we seem to be missing exactly your combination of fun, enthusiasm, intel, intellect, and good looks. So help us be the world's greatest golf community by joining today, right? Like say it could have just had a simple join now button, but that yeah. was written by our communications manager, Maddie, who's got an amazing sense of humor. And she's just peppered that all throughout the website. Now we, we could probably even do more with it, but I still get comments all the time from people that will be like, oh, looked at your website, love, lo- love the, um, the style and the warmth and the, the fun that's there in the writing and it just makes such a difference. Like, yeah, it's one of the things that just popped up there. Like I can't wait, like Maddie's just had a baby. I can't wait to get her back in and to start revamping the copy even more because it just makes it more entertaining and memorable. And then people want to share it or they remember what it is that you stand for. I love it. And human and human. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's one of the things that I rarely see in the corporate world. I rarely see that. And I think it's so easy to fall into that trap of thinking, well, you know, oh, well, we can't do this. Mm. We can't do this. We're an insurance company. You know, and, it, and it's like, well, well, no, I think those barriers you've put on yourself. And again, I, can't, I, can't, speak to, well, I can't speak to the corporate world because I don't think we, we, I understand nothing about it, but it's, it's more just kind of the, the entrepreneurial world. When you're in the entrepreneurial game and you start to say to yourself these things, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's, it's like, the, the, again, I, I use the example from my classes because that's where I live a lot of the time. But a lot of my students who live in the corporate world, they go, oh, then I can't do storytelling in, in, in my line of work. That's, inappro- oh, that's inappropriate. And, and to me, it's like, no, it's not. You're, you're, you're making these rules up that don't actually exist. And, and another point I wrote down while I read that passage is, Vin, reevaluate what rules you've created in your life that don't actually exist. Like what rules, yeah, like 
that aren't real that you're believing is real. Because to write an email like this, you you truly have a mind that is free and an understanding that there's no rules. Like it's just oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. It's playful. It's fun. It's creative. There's an inner child component. It's it's the trap of again getting bigger, and that that was the big thing when I reflected on this book because I hadn't read it for a couple of years. Was mm. how seriousness creeps in because of a few yeah. of those instances that you discussed before because the yeah. risk with humor and injecting fun into it is it's vulnerable yeah and when it's vulnerable at when you've got a large number of clients or members or whatever it is it goes back to the person who lit their shoe on fire and that squeaky wheel where you get you might send that email out to 20,000 people but they don't receive their thing and then you might re- receive a response back saying why don't you spend more time on delivering the product than writing your stupid emails you know or something mm. like that and negative and people, monster. negative monster comes in people get burnt a couple of times and yeah. then they will retreat you know and i think that's what we see like if you le- read any legal document that's what that is like yeah. there is it's like they are the worst things, the terms and conditions, contracts. Like how yeah. painful is that? When you receive one and you have to go through it, it yeah. is excruciating. It doesn't. It must be excruciating for the person that wrote it. It's excruciating for the person that has to review it. It's excruciating for the person that has to read it and then sign it. Like, oh. No wonder they are nearly pointless. But what they are purely designed for is for fear and safety. Right, yeah. because it's the thing that you hold up when your partnership doesn't work, or there is something yeah. there. It's like, ah, oh, no, 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 you don't remember this, but four years ago you signed this agreement, yeah. <laughs> and I can hold you to it. Like that, to me, it's something that <laughs> we use, but it just has never felt right. Like it feels like something that's, yeah, I don't know. It's a necessity. Well, well, Without having uh, those rules, it would be chaos, probably. Uh, you, you see, one, when you're, you're, you're looking at it from the point of view of business, right? And how business has become more and more serious for you as you've grown your business. Mm. I'm looking at this in terms of life, in terms of as I get older and older, I've become more serious as a person. And what this reminded me is where in my personal life can I add sprinkles of this? It's true. You know, like it just could be me sending a message to my wife. Where, where can I add a little bit of this? Like where, where can I like where can I write something like that? But but more than just the writing of this, where can we implement some of this philosophy in our own lives? And like that's why, like last night, hey, a grown of group of grown adults, let's just go crabbing in the middle of the night. Like to me, where can I add some of that ridiculousness? Because I think that is fun, it's creative, and it's play. I think, I think we've got to find more room in now. I mean, look, look, let's be really transparent with the audience, right? I mean, we, we did a podcast, our last podcast, episode three. And when Ali and I sat down and reviewed it, we said, why do we, why are we so serious? Well, we yeah, got a little bit serious yeah. on that one. And, and like, especially Ali, he looked like he was like- <laughs> I'm a serious guy. Yeah, serious guy. And then we said to ourselves, hey, we should lighten up. We should try yeah. to not be so serious and try to have a little bit of fun in it and leave room for a bit of that lightheartedness. And, right. you know, I think depth is important, but I think lightness is also important. Yep, it's a mixture. No, and good on you for calling that out because it's easy when you're reviewing books to just stay in that pragmatic, analytical, yeah. 
here are the lessons, here's how you apply them without yeah. injecting yeah. that fun into it. And I really like how you, you push us on that. Although Look, most I, of your I, breaks are really average and yeah. it's probably better if we're just serious, but... No, right. we're not. We're my my <laughs> bad jokes are like a little bit of sorbet after a big bowl of pasta. Uh, it is, uh, it's not fantastic. Look, I'm not saying sorbet is fantastic. It's not. It's absolutely not. It's not green tea ice cream or anything. What a callback. You've got yeah. you've got two hours back in time. <laughs> two hours. So, so like anything, like anything, too much of it can be terrible. Too much of this podcast is also like too big of a pasta. You need to keep it short, sweet, and simple. Thank you all so much for joining us. Ali and I really appreciate you listening and, and taking the time to, to, to be a part of this experience. Please, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment on any of the platforms that you're listening to. If you can't, Give us a, uh, a comment because you're listening on a platform that doesn't have a comment feature. You can find me on social media at, at AskVin, A-S-K-V-I-N-H. And Ali, where can they find you? I don't know. Nowhere. I'm in lockdown. No, thank you. <laughs> no. No, I've got a website, Ali Tarai, and on Instagram, LinkedIn, and the socials. So, yep. Brilliant. That is, All right, everyone. that is where I could be found. Otherwise, in, in this yeah. room. You know I, will never, I will never give you the keys to end the podcast ever again. That was one of the most terrible plane landings I've ever seen. It was like, tick, 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 tick. come on, Ali. That's terrible. Uh, look, everyone. Look, I'll end it. Finish it off again. Finish, finish it, off. it off again. I'll drink this. Everyone, listen, the core of this book is anything you want. What exactly what the title says. Make sure you live a life creating a life that you want ultimately. And don't don't be afraid to follow the path when there's a path to follow, but then don't be afraid to jump off the path to create and craft something you want. At the end of the day, I think if we get to our own lives and we craft the life we want, that is probably the biggest accomplishment we can achieve. So don't keep don't don't stop striving for that life. And we will see you all in the next podcast. Bye everyone. Um, Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out.